0: What an amazing video and what I could not ask for a better segue into today's message. How God is a God who is there when people are not. And if I think back on these two messages, I have to think that it's somewhat like that marathon analogy we presented last Sunday. When life is this marathon and you're running and and there's times you get exhausted and there's times you get discouraged and there are times when you physically ache... But last week we talked about how people are like that, at every mile marker, just handing out some level of refreshment to, to encourage you to keep on your journey. And they offer a word of encouragement. We talked about how everybody needs encouragement. But there are those days in our journey, on that long marathon, that no one's extending a hand, no one's there. And you wonder, where is my source of refreshment? How am I going to make it through? The beauty of today's message from God's Word in John chapter 11 that God is always with you. He loves you. He is aware of every situation and He is totally in control. I hope you are leaving this room today encouraged that no matter what happens in your life circumstances, no matter what the fears or anxieties or those journeys where you feel like no one's around me or no one understands, I hope you know. And see the character of God evidence in today's message. That he is always with you. He is always aware. He knows every feeling, every emotion, every detail. He has a higher plan. And he loves you and he never wishes ill will against you. He is always in control. And his arm is always out to offer that encouragement. Always out to offer that refreshment to you. God's timing is always perfect. Even in life, when we think that things are going bad, a loving God is right there going, Trust me, I know what you're going through. Even if you don't quite understand the details, or it seems like some of the details are coming from a hand that is being mean. Oh no, not from God. He is always there, and He loves you. Today, I want to take you to a situation that has, is probably the most profound, pivotal chapter in the Gospel of John. Many people in their lifetimes across the world, scholars, theologians, students, preachers have approached this chapter in so many ways because it is like the major pivot point, the major intersection of the gospel of John and the story of Jesus' life. We have a deep theological treatment happening, but we also have a deeply emotional situation happening. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to take you into the moment. I want you to stand in their sandals and I want you to taste the dust as we walk down the road with them and feel the emotion of these people as they deal with something very critical in their lives. Theologically, it is extremely important what happens in John chapter 11, but frankly, the participants of this drama lost a loved one and they don't frankly care about theology. They need a hug. How's God going to deal with all of this? How is he going to minister to all these people? I want to take you into a real-life situation where these people are clinging, clinging on to the truth that I know God's a loving God, but this hurts so much. I know God's a loving God, but why did he make me go through this? I know God is a loving God, and I served him. Shouldn't he treat me better? Wouldn't he run to my needs rather than just some mere stranger? They're dealing with some very raw, real emotions. John 11 is the moment where Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Theologically, in the scheme of Jesus' ministry, this is, this is the moment as soon as he raises Lazarus from the dead, everybody, religious and civil, who hate each other every other day of the week, get on the same page and said, he must be crucified. The moment he raises Lazarus from the dead was the moment everyone precipitated the plans. That he must be crucified. They thought they were wiping out a problem. Little did they know they were facilitating salvation for the whole mankind. But though everybody would not have gotten on the same page if Jesus would not have raised Lazarus from the dead. That's what it took. That miracle... For Jesus to raise him from the dead, for everyone to go, he's got to die, he's got to be crucified, he's got to be crucified. In fact, even one of the religious leaders, Caiaphas, says, shouldn't it be good that one guy perish so that every, the whole nation doesn't perish? And they had no idea they were fulfilling. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but everlasting life. So Jesus, in his providential plan, knew I must raise Lazarus from the dead and this walking billboard of my power needs to walk around the city so that everyone goes, this has got to stop. But in order to accomplish his divine providential plan, he needed to call on some of his dearest loved ones on this earth to be inconvenienced and to be be disturbed in their spirit. And Jesus just needed to say, just trust me. I cannot tell you what's happening right now. But if you cannot trace my hand, trust my heart. I'm a loving God, and I love you. And I would never, will, ill will. You will know in four days what I'm doing. But those four days are going to be the four darkest days. See, that's how life is, isn't it? Sometimes we're like, I've been taught God is loving. I gave my life to Him. I've trained my children. I mean, fathers, we think that there there is this desire to have that answer. But I want to encourage you fathers today, one of the greatest things that children respect and I respect is when a father says, and boy, have I adopted this a bunch, I don't know the answer, but I can run to the one who does have the answer. And I don't know all the answers. I don't know what God is doing. I I really do not know the circumstances. So all I've got is this, God is loving He never wishes ill will against me. He has always protected us and he has proven himself before. So let's just let's just trust him. Let's run with the information he's given me, and let's just know that God's timing is always perfect and God is always in control. Let's just see how this turns out. Fathers, what a great testimony. They can feed off your faith. I'd love to have the answers, and I'd love to provide and provide security, and I think that's what's inherently in us, but one of the greatest things we can do, dads, is just say the biggest security. When you're on this journey and you you don't know the answers, everything's going to be okay because God is in control, and we serve Him, and we serve a God that loves us so much. God's timing is always perfect. Here's what's happening in this drama. One of his, uh, a group of his uh, followers, Mary, Martha, they have a brother named Lazarus. A lot of the disciples, a lot of people that have followed him for three years. So this is way long in his ministry. Their brother is sick. They send a messenger out to Jesus and said, please, come, come. Uh, Lazarus, you know, you love Lazarus. He's sick. And Jesus doesn't. They go back. The servants go back. The messengers go back and they realize he had already died. It was at that moment where his closest followers and, and, and wisest in his teaching, they had followed him for three years, no one knows the heartbeat of the Messiah more than this group. They had traveled with him. They had ministered with him. Everyone in this point in the drama had to answer the question, is God trustworthy? Can I trust him? I've heard he's loving, but this is piercing. Will he? Is he trustworthy? Everyone in the drama, unfortunately, failed that question. They all said, you're powerful, but you were powerful up to this point. They had forgotten all the miracles that he had delivered. He turns to them and he says, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Did I tell you in just a few days, you'd know? Then the Lord raises Lazarus and all their eyes were opened as to the greatness of God, but it was in the waiting is he trustworthy? I hope you leave encouraged when you're on that marathon and there's no one out there for many, many mile markers and you're aching and you're alone and you're hurt and you're wondering what the Lord's doing because you and I have served him so faithfully. We've given to the ministry. We've served. We've, we've labored to the point of exhaustion. You're like, certainly God will treat me better. We just have to remember he is lavishing his love. The God of all comfort is 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 just saying just trust me you can tell me but i ask for you to trust me the drama picks up in john chapter 11 verse 3 two sisters this is mary and martha sent a message to jesus telling him lord your dear friend is sick now now notice this phrase lord your dear friend is sick now now listen if you have a good friend you don't need to add those words. He knows he's its dear friend. In fact, in the little Greek translation, it says, Lord, the one whom you love is sick. All they needed, frankly, to say is, Lazarus is sick. If you have a dear, dear friend, you don't have to qualify it. So, why did they qualify it? Okay, for two reasons. One, it is one of the gravest, most piercing situations where they think their brother's going to die. So they are obviously attempting to persuade Jesus, hurry, hurry, hurry. Remember, this is the guy you really, really love. But, But note this, three times prior to that sentence, three times prior to that sentence, they had seen mere strangers run to Jesus with the same request. Three times they had seen Jesus, when he was met, that request, say, I don't even need to come right now. I'll call an audible right now and heal him from a distance. Nobleman's son. Heal my son, heal my son. Jesus said, I don't, do you believe yet? Yeah, I don't, I, I've seen no greater faith that calls an audible. Heals him right there without even coming. Centurion servant comes to him and says, please heal my servant. He goes, well, I'll come. He goes, no, no, you're a man of authority. I'm a man of authority. I speak words, they do it. You are a man of authority. Just speak the word. He goes, whoa, great faith. Heals him right there on the spot. Doesn't even come. Syrophoenician woman's daughter. Please heal my daughter. Please heal my daughter. He saw the heartbreak in her heart, and he just healed her on the spot. Mere strangers came to him, and he just called an audible. So how much more would the Lord hustle to get to his dear friend. So tell him. Messengers, when you go, tell him, the one who you deeply love is sick. Please come. But their reaction was not that of the strangers. Jesus says, no. John eleven four, 4, Jesus says, no, if we're close friends and you trust me, and we've like run this marathon together for three years, then you'll trust my promise. You'll, you don't need actions for me to prove my word like good friends. You just, you just need my words. So I'll just make you a promise, friends. When, verse 4, when Jesus heard it, he said, I promise you, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. And he does not budge. The messengers go back He's dead. They found out actually chronologically that he was probably dead at the moment of their request when they ran out to see Jesus. What is he doing? God, I'm on this marathon. I need some help. Now, something happens right here in the Gospel of John chapter 11, and it is, it is the most important sentence in John 11. If we pass over the sentence, we will miss how to read the rest of the story. Do not miss this next point. When the Apostle John was writing this narrative, he stopped telling the story. And just like a good biographer in the first century, and just like books today, if you're telling a story, and then you think you're, going to, you're about to approach a detail that your reader may not understand you're eligible, especially the first century, to insert some comments to make sure your reader reads the next set of details accurately. Because without this instruction, without this little stage instruction, you, there's a possibility you may read the next sentences and totally misunderstand what's happening. So John stops writing the drama and then writes to you and me and says, I need you to put on some lenses because I need you to view the next few sentences I'm going to write about the story through these lenses. Because if you don't, you're going to think that Jesus hates them. If you don't put on these lenses and filter every word I say in the next moment, you will actually think that Jesus does not love them, has great disdain for them, and never cared for them from the beginning. So you must filter this entire story now through these lenses... He stops writing the drama. He writes a little stage instruction to you and me. He says, put on these spiritual lenses. Here's the sentence he writes and says, no matter what you read in the next story, never forget this detail. John chapter 11, verse 5. Jesus loved Martha. He loved Mary. And he loved Lazarus. Don't forget that in the next sentence. Jesus loved Martha. He loved Mary. He deeply, deepest commitment, loved Lazarus. There is nothing that's going to happen in this drama that is devoid of his deep compassion and love as their heavenly father. There is no, never a time where in this scenario, Jesus exits his love and it's never out there. He always loved them. Because if you don't grasp that instructional note, you will think that the next three statements are are, are absolutely despicable. But when you don't have the answers, he cannot tell them the answers yet. You must trust my heart. I love you. You know, I've studied for a few years. I, I was just, you know, just earlier this morning with Dr. Towns and, and Pastor and a few others and you know I, 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 I love theology, I pale in comparison to a man like Dr. Towns by the way, can, calendar calendarology, he's, his new book on calendarology is already out in the, in the lobby, I'll be a book signing um, I once told Dr. Towns I said 120 books, my goodness I mean even our good lord stopped at um, 66 <laughs> but I digress I love theology. I love truth. I find great comfort in deep truth. But sometimes, sometimes the greatest encouragement, the most profound message that just helps my heart get through is the simple truth that God loves you there's not a thing you can do that he will remove his love of you. If you don't know him as your heavenly father today, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ and think you are so far gone and there's nothing you could do to gain his forgiveness, well, too late. God demonstrated his love for you in that while you were still a sinner and had no clue you were, he loved you and died on the cross for you. God lavishes his love upon you. You can come to him today, and he will forgive you of your sin and accept you. There's not a point, even child of God, for those of us that have given our life to Jesus, where there's ever a time where God allows us to live life without his love. Whatever you're going through, Father, and you're thinking, what in the world I've tried to provide, I've tried to do all this stuff. This marathon, I'm alone, and everyone's looking at me for answers. Take heart. Just run to the God that's there Because he loves you, he loves you unconditional love. Now John says, "You got it. He loves them." Start the drama now. Now let's read the next few sentences. John chapter eleven, verse three. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus, saying, "Lord, your dearly your friend that you love is sick." But verse five, although he loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus, he stayed there for the next two days. What are you doing? John chapter 11, verse 14. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. What? You're, you're what? John, I'm so glad I put on these lenses. John chapter 11, verse 17. When Jesus did arrive at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in the grave four days. Oh, I'm so glad I put on these lenses because that doesn't make sense. But I must trust a loving God that says, no matter what happens in your life, never forget, I love you, I love you, I love you. I am there when everyone is not. When everyone does give you encouragement, know that that's from me. But when everybody is absent, just take heart and be encouraged. I am not alone in this life. I do not have to run this alone. My God is always there. And it's that fateful question of wondering why in the, in the waiting. It's that moment where we say, am I going to trust God? And, and we all are approached with this question. Is God trustworthy? Is God trustworthy? Every participant in this drama failed this test. Because it hurt them. And by the way, can I just say this? I think we don't have a rebuke of their pain here. We just have loving guidance. It's okay to hurt. And by the way, it's okay to tell him you're hurting. But he never excuses when you stop trusting him. I, I, wish, I, I wish I could tell you that the Lord understands the moments you and I don't trust him. But he, he understands how, why it happens. He clearly knows how it happens. But he never accepts you and I not trusting him. That is because he has proven himself so much because his character is so great. So tell him his hurt. It hurts. Tell him you're on the brink. Be like that that father who brought us under the disciples. I couldn't heal him and say, "I believe but help my unbelief." It's okay to tell him, but he always requires us to trust him. So tell him and trust him. John 11:21, here's unfortunately where they failed. Martha said to Jesus, "Lord, if you had only been here in time, my brother wouldn't have died." But he died, it's over. John eleven thirty-two. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet. And, quote, same statement. Lord, if you had been here in time, my brother wouldn't have died. You, if, if he wouldn't have died, you were powerful, but, but now he's dead, and what can we do? John eleven, thirty-six. The people who were standing nearby said, See how much he loved him. But some said, But this man who healed the blind, couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? But but there was a situation. The line they drew was when he died, it's over, he's powerless. John eleven thirty five the shortest verse in the English Bible, Jesus wept. Every time Jesus Christ, He's in the company of people shouting their disbelief about His power. Interesting. In the waiting, I want to encourage you to do this. Make your own choice. Don't worry about other people. Don't worry what other people say, like Joseph, if you ought to curse God and die. No, 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 no. You just stay there and you go, you know, everybody in this world would say that in, in my situation, I am naive for believing a God I cannot see. Don't listen to people. There will be some Christian people that say, you know what, maybe you need to start taking matters into your own hand, and maybe you need to start just kind of, kind of orchestrating, manipulating, and if you're going to make it happen. No, no, no. You, you, you keep on going back to say, I will make my choice, and I will serve the Lord. I will trust him. I will tell him. I'll pour on my heart, but I will trust him. Jesus turned to Martha and made that very point. Look at John 11, verse 40. Jesus said to Martha, did I not say to you that if you believe, you would see the glory of God? By the way, this Y-O-U is all singular. I know in the South we say you and y'all which I had to learn now from Detroit, and I married a Southern belle. I quickly learned y'all is proper grammar. I don't know if you hyphenate. I don't know how that works. But in the ancient language, it's very clear. It's very clear if it's you plural. You Listen, everybody is doubting tombside, and he looks right to Martha, the influencer, and said, why could you make your own choice? Did I not say to you that if you believed, you would see miracles? Don't worry about other people. Make your own choice. And then at this moment, I can't help but right before Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, I would be thinking this, and I think this every time I get to this point in the story. This whole group has forgotten how he's delivered in the past. This group has forgotten the plethora of miracles that the God-man has done before. They have forgotten how he delivered in the past. And friend, don't ever forget how God's delivered you. Don't ever forget about the listen don't ever forget about the miracles or those mighty deeds that you had to look back in your life and say that was all God moment that was all God that was all God I could not have orchestrated that I could not have fabricated that manipulated that it was all God What's your miracle What's that moment you look back and you go it was all God maybe it was the moment that he healed you from bondage Maybe it was a moment that he brought a prodigal home. Maybe it was one of those moments where he literally saved your life. He delayed you down the road, and then you looked ahead, and 30 seconds later, there's a, there's a fatal accident, and you would have been right in the middle. What, what is your God, what is your all God moment? Maybe it was that moment you saw a spiking fever of your child, and nothing was working, and he healed her so dramatically. What's your miracle? Because sometimes when there's nothing happening, we have to look back and go, you know what? He, he delivered there. He showed up there. He showed up there. And I'm just in the waiting. I cannot forget how he showed up in the past. Never forget how God has delivered in the past. There are 35 recorded miracles in the gospel. 35. The raising of Lazarus is number 30. There are multiple statements about how he went on the hillside and healed the masses. But there are 35 recorded miracles. There are 30. This group he is ministering to have seen firsthand or received firsthand accounts of all 29 other miracles. They knew exactly every single miracle that he performed and they had seen with their own eyes what Jesus did and what Jesus performed in their lives they had seen him work but they had forgot to remember that I saw God show up and I saw him do miracles there but they forgot to think about it because their heart is hurting never forget how he's delivered in the past I mean you know some of them changing water in the wine they saw that the nobleman's son healed from a distance centurion's servant healed from a distance Heal my servant sour phoenician woman her his daughter please please come they were in a house they saw jesus heal peter's mother-in-law with such amazing ability after a spiking fever that she was able to stand and serve they saw him walk up to a man who had been paralyzed for 38 years said you will to be holy he says i do he said take up your bed and walk They were in a crowd of thronging people and there was this woman who said, if I can only touch the hem of his garment. They saw a woman crowd and crawl underneath a crowd only to touch the tassel of his prayer shawl and immediately he said, wow, I've seen no greater faith and healed her right there. They saw a woman in a synagogue that had poor posture for 18 years. Everyone ignored her and put her on the appropriate area that women came to listen and he called her up and rendered her upright, and she walked out in 38 years. They saw Jesus command a school of fish to swarm into two nets and nearly break them. They saw Jesus command a fish to bite a hook, swallow a coin so Peter could reel them in, to spit out two drachmen to pay his taxes. My goodness, I would love that. The fish probably got filleted after that. First aquatic martyr. (laughs) Get his award in fish heaven, I guess. On the fourth watch of the night, they saw that same guy who's standing at this tube walk on the water. He appropriately said, do not be afraid. They saw him command and empower a mere human being to also walk on the water. And when that man's faith plummeted and his guys got off of Jesus, they saw the Son of Man get secure footing on H2O molecules and pull a 180-pound man out of the water. Jesus was asleep on the boat and was woken up by the words of these people. Don't you care? There's a storm. Don't you care if we perish? Don't you care? Jesus in His humanity wipes His eyes and His divinity in two words. He calms the raging storm. The book of Isaiah says that, the Messiah will not only make the lame leap and the dumb speak, but he will also be the only one to make the blind to see. In a synagogue, he healed two mute men so impressively, it said the crowd was stunned. He approached a mute and deaf man by putting his finger on his tongue and his finger in two ears saying, Ethatha be opened. He spat in the eye sockets of a man they saw and gave him 20-20 vision. They witnessed him spitting in the mud and making mud and putting in the eye sockets of a blind man and saying, now I want you to guide this man and I want you to go wash out of the pool of Siloam. You walk by the pool of Bethesda, but let's do it in Siloam, which means the pool of the sent one, the pool of Messiah. I would rather that a blind man receive his sight according to the book of Isaiah by washing out of the pool of the Messiah. I thought it'd be, you know, a nice touch. They saw him in a synagogue take a man with a withered hand and rendered it fully functional, and the crowd was speechless. They saw a man with swollen limbs, and he literally just with one word, the, the limbs swelled. They, he approached a man with advanced leprosy, and it was healed. He was, though he was declared unclean, he touched him, hugged him, healed him on the spot. He healed a mute man so impressively in the synagogue And everyone said that they were stunned. In fact, the crowd at this point in his ministry said they were just speechless. He turns to the man and he says, speak. And immediately the scriptures say that he opened his mouth and testified of the greatness of God. These people saw him go toe-to-toe with a demon, one demon who was constantly interrupting his sermons in a synagogue, who had not shut up, he muzzled that demon and cast him out. They, this group saw him go toe-to-toe with 6,000 demons that said, we know who you are, you are the Holy One of God, bid us to go into those pigs, and he did, and the demonic maniac man was then found clothed in his right mind. They saw a father bring his son to the disciples, and then Jesus came and he said, Jesus, Jesus, I have brought my son unto this disciple and this disciple and this disciple and this disciple and nobody can heal him and he said guys I tell you that this comes out nothing but prayer and fasting and he touches the chest of that boy and he revives they saw Jesus feed 4,000 people with just 7 loaves and a few fish and they saw him feed 5,000 people with just 5 loaves and 2 fish they should have known that he was powerful because he had proven himself before and they had seen him not only once but twice raise someone from the dead. Luke 8, Luke 7. They should have known that he was powerful and mighty to save, but, but they forgot. Jesus' words to Martha, though, are the words to you and me. Did I not say to you that if you believe you would see the glory of God? Did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Fathers, I want to encourage you that God will show up. And when you don't have the answers and you can't provide, don't be shamed. Say, my confidence is not in my effort. It is not in my knowledge and not in my wisdom. My hope is in the Lord who is always here. And if you're going through a struggle and you don't have those arms giving you a refreshment, that encouragement, and you feel all alone, know this, that the God of all comfort loves you and he knows every detail you're going through. He has not abandoned you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. No matter what's happening with your career, no matter what's happening with your family, no matter what's happening with your anxiety about starting school maybe in the next season of your life. No matter if the Lord's transplanting you and wondering where you're going to go. No matter if you lost your No matter if you lost the anchor in your family. And you're like, now what is my anchor? Our hope, my friend, is in a God that loves you and will never leave you and never forsake you. He is a God whose timing is always perfect and he is always in control. And he loves you. Would you join me standing as we pray? Lord Jesus, I thank you for the comfort that we have in you. God, I am so grateful that you are a God who loves us, who is always there and never withholds your care and love. Lord, I pray on this Father's Day that you would encourage these dads are following you, who are doing their best, Lord, give them encouragement that as long as they stay close to you, and as long as they draw all men to you, that they are leading so well. Let every father, Lord, who is drawing everyone to you, leave this place today saying, thank you, God, for being the father that I lean on to. And Lord, if there are some people today that are hurting in their hearts, whatever situation they just needed to hear from your precious word, that it's going to be okay because you're right there with them. Lord, if there are people here that have nobody right now in their season of life, or they've lost their anchor, Lord, may they today take comfort that you're right there. Lord, if there's someone that needs prayer today, they've just kind of gone through the ringer this week. May they, Lord, just seek the hand of a pastor or just bring a friend and use this time to just say, Lord, I will tell you my plight, but I will also commit to trust you. And Lord, if there's someone here that does not know you as their personal Savior, may it be today that they accept you as their personal Lord and Savior. Take this time, Lord, as we reserve every Sunday for you to do your work in our hearts As we spend this time singing and praying, and we love you, sing with us, Lord, as we uh, focus on these things.
1: We want to take this opportunity to thank you for joining us here today. You know, at Thomas Road Baptist Church, since our very beginning, back in 1956, we've been about one thing and one thing only, and that is to bring the message of hope that comes through Jesus Christ to the world. And today, my friends, we recognize we live in a world that's messed up. We live in a world that's full of division and conflict and pain and sorrow. But Jesus came to this world not to bring division and sorrow, but to bring joy, to bring peace, to bring hope. And today, that's the message that we want to share with you. And if you're watching this and you've never had the opportunity of of connecting with him at that level, of understanding what it is that Jesus came to do, I encourage you and I want to let you know the greatest news you'll ever hear and that's this God loves you he loves you with an everlasting love in fact he gave his only son Jesus to come to this earth to die on the cross to pay for your sins and for my sins to do for us what we never could do for ourselves what an amazing gift that really is God loves you Christ died for you but three days later, he rose again. And when he came out of that grave, he gives us victory over sin, over Satan, over the grave. He gives us the hope for eternity. But according to God's words, very clear, what we must do is believe. We must believe that Jesus is the son of God. We must believe that he died and that he rose again. And if we do that, according to Romans 10:13, anyone, that means you, it means me, it means every person that has ever lived, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so I encourage you today to recognize that hope that comes to Jesus. And if you've never trusted him as your Lord and Savior, do so today, believing that he is who he said he is, that he did what he said that he did, calling on his name, and it'll change everything. That is the message that we share. It's a message that we want to take to the entire world. And today, I would encourage you to connect with us, maybe even financially through a gift that you can help us to take this message around the world. I encourage you today to stand with us as we stand with truth, as we stand with hope, to let the world know God loves.